the way many people are taught how to do positioning is they are taught to do something called a positioning statement. This is literally the dumbest and most useless construct in marketing I have ever encountered. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11. On this week's episode, I talk with April Dunford, who's probably the world's foremost expert on positioning. April is something of an accidental marketer, an engineer by education. Her first job was in the marketing team of a startup. Shortly after that startup got acquired and her boss quit, she inherited a team and a budget she didn't have the experience to manage. April was not one to give up and was determined to crack that. As she did, April found herself intrigued by something peculiar. Why did some very cool products remain vastly misunderstood by consumers and how to fix that? Or in other words, fixing positioning. That topic would become her lifelong passion. It saw her in roles as varied as COO, CEO, CMO, and VP of sales in both startups and large corporations that would acquire them. As she puts it, positioning encompasses the entire organization. Listen on to here why so many startups and companies fail at positioning. We would get into problems, we would think they were sales problems or marketing problems, but actually the problem was that we didn't clearly define, this is the market we're going to win in, these are our key differentiators, these are the people we're going after, and the component pieces that together make up positioning. What are the signs you are having a positioning problem? You will see this incredible friction in the mid funnel. Your salespeople will say, man, like I got to do three calls with these people and demo the stuff over and over and over. And then suddenly a light goes on. Oh, you're this. And the weak positioning is what's happening in the first three calls where they're like, I don't actually get what this is. How to start fixing your positioning and create the right context for your customers. Where you're having success right now. So you have super happy customers right now that are jumping up and down, that don't turn off your thing, they love you. What, when you talk to those customers, who did they compare you to? Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, April Dunford. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's a, a, a real pleasure, April. And uh, I guess are you uh, uh, speaking to me from Toronto today? Is it Toronto? Yes, it's Toronto. Do you know it's the middle of April and we still have snow here? It sucks in Toronto. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it's pretty cool, but yeah, that that does suck. Uh, I mean, it's no. Generally, it's very cool. It's like a really nice place. I encourage you to visit. Just maybe don't visit in the winter. Yeah, no, no, no. I'll take I'll take those tips. And uh, I mean, not to get you jealous, but it's uh, I'm obviously um, well April where uh, I think it's like 28 degrees um, oh. today in uh, in UK. So it's very nice uh, early summer. But Dang. I'm in, I'm stuck indoors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a- a- April, um, so I think like, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, will have heard of uh, your name. Um, but tell us a little bit about, you know, who is a- April Duncan? Um, so I am a career startup marketer, I think is probably the best way to describe it. So I've done seven startups in my career, mainly as the VP marketing, VP marketing and sales, CRO. I've been the COO. I've been the CEO. 
So I've done a series of startups and then most of those startups have been acquired. So as a result, I've done a series of executive level jobs at bigger companies like IBM and I was at Siebel and Nortel was another one. And so now what I do mainly is I work with mainly growth stage companies that have issues around positioning. So positioning has kind of been my bag for the last couple of years. Um, I also work with bigger companies that are kind of struggling to figure out how to do positioning in a meaningful way for new products that they're bringing out of incubation. Okay. Uh, and, and so you, you've had, you've had the, these multitude of, of roles, CEO, CRO, CMO, uh, COO. What was your, uh, your favourite one? Uh, you know what? At the beginning, I was all about just marketing. Like, in fact, I started my career. You know, it's funny. I have an engineer by training. But my first job I got sort of by accident at a startup. My friend worked there. She put in a good word for me. I got the job. And then we, uh, a few months later, we got acquired. My boss left the company and I inherited this giant marketing team with a great big marketing budget. And it was terrifying. I couldn't even spell marketing. I'd never taken a marketing course. I knew nothing. I was an engineer. But what really intrigued me was this idea of why is it that some great products are successful and some great products, people just never figure out what they're all about and why they're cool. And at the time I had a product that was very, very cool, but it was really difficult for people to understand. And we managed to kind of crack that code. And that bit was really intriguing to me. So I spent years kind of just thinking about that and that problem of how do you take something that's really innovative, really new, really amazing, but it's also really difficult to figure out because people have never encountered it before. I don't know. As my career went on, you know, the lines between marketing and sales are blurry. And so I find it a bit constraining to be inside an organization where the organization doesn't want me to touch sales or doesn't want me to touch customer success because all these things are so intertwined that I don't think you can really be successful in marketing without having some influence across the board. So COO is kind of a fun job that way and that you don't have the, the, the responsibility of CEO in many ways, but you do get, get, you know, have an excuse to put your fingers in lots of places. And so, and so, like right now, as you mentioned, you're—I uh, guess this uh, like uh, consultant, you know, specialist in positioning you know, for like growth stage SaaS companies. Um, I, I guess, uh, I, I mean, it, it might seem sort of fairly obvious, but uh, uh, or, or not, as it were. But you know, why why is it important for you, you know growth stage SaaS companies to, uh, in your opinion, to create this sort of really clear context? Uh, you know, for their company, uh, for their customers in terms of, you know, what it is that they they do. So positioning is an interesting topic because it's not new. Nothing about the concept of positioning is new. It was invented in 1982 and we've been talking about it ever since. There's a really good selling book called Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind, which is like the textbook on positioning. And that was published in 1983. So before the internet. (laughs) So this isn't a new concept. And yet what I found in my career is we did a terrible job of positioning company after company after company. We would get into problems. We would think they were sales problems or marketing problems. But actually the problem was that we didn't clearly define 
this is the market we're going to win in. These are our key differentiators. These are the people we're going after and the component pieces that together make up positioning. And so what I found was that as I went from company to company to company, it was if there was one big problem we had to solve, it was that. And then later on, as I got working with startup incubators and I'm doing a little angel investing and I'm sitting on some boards, it's so consistent. At some point, every startup struggles with positioning. And if they get it wrong, everything downstream in marketing and sales is terrible and is operating under this handicap of this weak positioning. So I decided that was the problem. If I wanted to to really make a big impact on the companies I work with, I mean, I could talk to them about execution on marketing stuff, but if their positioning was weak, then it was kind of pointless. We'd have to go back and fix the positioning first. So I decided that that was the problem that I was going to tackle. So I, you know, I started out trying to teach a course on positioning at the incubator that I'm involved with here in Toronto. And it's really hard to teach because there's nothing out there. Like we talk about positioning, like it's this thing we all know how to do, but like you tell me, how do you do it? Nobody has any templates. Nobody has a process. And so slowly I started to develop this in a way that I could actually go in a room full of startup people and say, this is how you do it. Step one, step two, step three. This is how you walk through the pieces. So that's mainly what I'm focused on right now is teaching people how to do this. I run a workshop with a growth stage company and we can kind of to collectively walk through a process, even in a short amount of time and kind of get a firmer grasp on, okay, this is what all the pieces are. Now we can go tackle some marketing stuff. Now we're going to tackle sales execution stuff. For, for Does that, that make sense? It make, 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 makes total sense. For, the, for those, uh, I guess, like founders and uh, I, I guess um, their, their execs, marketers that are listening, um, what are the signs that they may have a, a positioning problem? Like typically when somebody calls you or emails you, um, you know, what, what are the things that they mention that you're like, yeah, you know, we need to kind of work on the positioning here? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a handful of really clear signs that you see very consistently when the positioning is weak. So particularly my background is B2B. Most of the companies I've worked with are B2B. I'm super comfortable in B2B, less comfortable in B2C. Uh, But in B2B SaaS startups, what you'll get is you will see this incredible friction in the mid funnel. So your salespeople will say, man, like I got to do three calls with these people and demo this stuff over and over and over. And then suddenly a light goes on. Oh, you're this. And the weak positioning is what's happening in the first three calls where they're like, I don't actually get what this is. So that's one sign. You'll get this thing where it takes your salespeople or your marketing process too long to get to this lights on moment where the, where the prospect says, yeah, I get it. I get why I would need this. That's the first sign. The second sign you'll get that is also very common is people will, your prospects will misposition you. So they will say, oh, you're a CRM, right? And you'll say, no, we're not a CRM. Oh God, no, no, we don't do that. And then you'll explain what it is you are. And they'll say, hmm, so your database. No, no, we're not a database. <laughs> and so you'll get that confusion. And so you'll see it in sales calls. You'll see it in the dialogue you're having with customers over email that they'll be like, oh, so you compete with Salesforce. I mean, no, we don't compete with Salesforce. That's not who we And so what it means is that the customer can't figure out your positioning. So they're doing the job in their head, 
and you don't like what they're coming up with. <laughs> and again, that results in this friction in the middle of your funnel. Um, the other thing I commonly hear from founders that have a positioning problem is they'll say, you know what, April, people love our shit. They love it. Customers, we have zero churn. Like when we get a customer on, they love it. They use it forever. It's fantastic. But getting them on takes forever. And so if I can figure out how to, you know, my happy customers, you know, they need to actually use the stuff before they feel the joy and the amazingness and the magic of what we do. That's a positioning problem. If your thing is so amazing that your existing customers are like, ah, oh, we love it. We can't let it go. We can't live without it. Uh, it, there's there's got to be a way to get your prospects to that place faster. And usually what it means is your prospects are spending too much time in this zone where they're saying, I don't know, I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure if it's for me. I'm not sure of the value of it. I'm not sure it's worth switching off what I'm doing now. I just don't get it. What are the, uh, I don't know if, it, if, if it's like a one, a one size fits all or like, you know, panacea for uh, positioning, but you, you teach the, the, the uh, positioning workshops and, you know, probably, uh, well, certainly, you know, talk about it for uh, a long time, but like in a, in, a, in a nutshell, the initial things or steps that you take to fixing the positioning, you know, problems uh, for the companies. Yeah. So the way it works is, so one of the hardest things I found when, you know, I'd done positioning a bunch of times, like I've launched 16 products in my career, 16. So that's a lot. And every single one of those, I've repositioned them at some point. So you think I've done it 16 times and I should be able to teach you how to do it. Right. But the first few times I tried to teach it, I've, I've found myself sort of going back and forth. It's a bit of a system. The way many people are taught how to do positioning is they are taught to do something called a positioning statement. This is literally the dumbest and most useless construct in marketing I have ever encountered. So what it is, is a fill in the blank sort of mad libs thing. We are a blank that does blank for blank. And you fill in, this is the market I'm in. These are, this is my target customers. These are my key differentiators. It's complete bull because it assumes you know the answers and it doesn't give you any clue as to how to like, how do I get the word that goes in the blank? Oh, you're just supposed to know that. So it tricks you into thinking there's only one way you could position a product in a market when in fact, any product, I don't care what it is, I could successfully position it in a dozen different markets. So when you start thinking about how am I going to fix my positioning? A lot of people start with that statement. Now, what's interesting is the component pieces of the statement, the blanks, are super important. It's super important to know what your key differentiators are. It's super important to know who your competitors are. Super important to know who your target customers are. But you have to have a process to figure out what each of those things are. To make it even more confusing, all of those things relate to each other. So my key differentiators only make sense in the context of who am I comparing myself to? And that only makes sense when I say what market I'm in. So if I'm not in the CRM market, I'm not comparing myself to Salesforce. So don't worry about that. So where do you actually start is the hard part. Um, when I do this stuff with clients, what I usually say is, look, I'm going to start with where you're having success right now. So you have super happy customers right now that are jumping up and down, that don't turn off your thing. They love you. What, when you talk to those customers, who did they compare you to? 
and start with that. Let's write down like everybody, everybody that they, your customers think is a competitive alternative, which by the way, might include do nothing or hire an intern or whatever. So we figure out that. Then the next piece we have to figure out is, okay, those customers picked you for a reason when they compared you to those people. Why? So you must have some secret sauce that no one else has. You must have some special stuff. So let's write it down. Let's, think, let's not think about value yet, but let's just think about features. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do that no one else can do. I figure that out. Then the next thing you look at is you say, okay, if those are my key features that no one else has, the alternatives don't have, how does that translate into value for customers? And that's usually where you start getting into this. You know what? Our value themes out in a couple of themes. Like we're not providing value across the board. We're actually really just saving people time or we're really just helping them solve this one particular thing. Then the next thing you do is you say, all right, now I know what my value is. Who really gives a crap about that? Because not everybody does. So there's, if I look at the market of, you know, the ocean of people I could market my stuff to, why wouldn't I just focus on the people that really, really care about the narrow set of things that I'm really, really good at? So then when you look at that, then you say, okay, well, what market am I in? Well, the context I weave around that is the one that makes sure that my value is utterly, completely obvious to those people that really, really care. So if I give you an example on this one, um, I worked for a company, we sold a database. Um, it, it was uh, you know, developed by a couple of guys with PhDs in database technology. This thing had magic tech with patents on it. And what we could do was an analytic query that any other database like Oracle would take hours to do, we could do it in seconds. So when we pitched this thing to people, we'd go in the room and we'd say, hey, database people that have a mountain of data that need to do an analytic query, what we have is this magical new database. And so by saying that, what we were essentially doing is we're positioning ourselves in the database market. So what's the first question we get? How are you better than Oracle? And we're not. Like the reality is we're not. We're not trying to beat Oracle in the overall database market. We're not. But that's the way a lot of startups start out positioning it. Like in our case, you know, we were really good at this one type of analytic query if you had a mountain of data. Like we literally had a customer come to us and say, you know what, you're not a database. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm not a database? We're having a fight about it. And he says, you're not a database. I think you're a business intelligence tool. Maybe you're a data warehouse. And that kind of cracked my head into thinking, you know what, we've always positioned ourselves in this context of a database but what if we said we were a business intelligence tool? What would that change? Well, one thing it changed is we'd never get compared to Oracle again, at least at that stage, when Oracle didn't really operate in that market. And who would we get compared to? Well, at that point, it was like a bunch of other startups just like us. And we wouldn't get this objection from customers that say, you know what, we're an Oracle shop. We all have Oracle. We don't need another database. We don't need what you do. Instead, we'd be coming in and saying, you know, eventually we positioned ourselves as a data warehouse for machine generated data. But, you know, so if I walked in and said, I got a data warehouse for machine generated data, everybody with machine generated data is like, well, that sounds cool. I don't have one of those, but do they have a database? Yeah, they do. So just because in the beginning, your founders set out and said, Hey, we're going to build a database. Doesn't mean that that's the best market for you to position yourselves in from a marketing and sales perspective. 
Can, in, in your experience, and uh, I don't know if I was uh, picking up uh, from, from some of that, you know, can you uh, position you know, a, a product and a company in multiple ways in order to you know, get the sale, let's say, or so you're going into uh, you know, one opportunity and you're saying, okay, we're a BI tool, and then you, you're going into oh, an, yeah. an, another opportunity and you're, okay, we're you know, next-gen machine learning or whatever. Yeah. Um, but do you... Do you does that, in your experience, ever work, or is it you know? Okay, um, no. That is actually that is actually a recipe for market confusion. <laughs> <laughs> what you want, right, is you want people to understand what you are way before your rep even talks to you, right, or the rep even talks to the prospects. So people want to be able to come to your website, check you out, and say, "Oh, you're this," right, and you're not this other thing. And so you need to be consistent. The interesting thing about positioning it is at the beginning, you would think that it touches messaging and your sales pitch and maybe nothing else. But the reality is, is it ends up touching everything in the company. So in my case of my database company, it changed our roadmap. Like in order to successfully call ourselves a data warehouse, we needed to have reporting and we didn't have reporting because we were a database. (laughs) And so we had to go back and figure out, well, maybe we should do some partnerships here. Maybe we should have a roadmap that includes some reporting stuff. And there were expectations that we had to meet there. Um, The other thing is that if you look at people that do a really good job of positioning, it's not just the messaging. It actually ekes out in the way you talk to customers, the way you service customers, features on your products, partnerships, the sales channels you choose, because all of that stuff aligns. Um, There's an example I use a lot of a company here in Canada that sells, uh, they're, they're basically robot guys and they, they started out selling robots and eventually they came up with this robot and it, it, it's a, it's a thing that drives around in a manufacturing plant and delivers things from one line to another. And so at the beginning they were always positioning it as a robot. And the interesting thing is all, everything that makes them special, you know, the fact that it drives around, it's got sensor technology, it's full of artificial intelligence, it's got mapping, all those things are actually not robot, right? So when they went in and said, hey, we have a robot, everybody's like, oh, we got robots, they do a stupid repetitive thing, they pick up a thing and put it in a box. And they're like, no, 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 our thing is so special, it's artificial intelligence, it's different. Um, and eventually what they did with their positioning is they started positioning themselves as self-driving cars. The interesting thing about that repositioning is all their interesting value, the fact that it drives around, the fact that it's full of artificial intelligence and sensors, that became obvious within the context of self-driving car. Of course you drive around, it's a self-driving car. (laughs) Um, the second thing was that if you look at how they executed on that positioning, um, those guys went whole hog. So they, if you look at the vehicle itself, has little white lights on the front and little red lights on the back, and they're literally not functional. They're there strictly to drive home this positioning of this thing is a car. Look, it's got headlights and brake lights, even though they don't do the function what you think they do. If you look at the way they've named their features, like if they have a feature for managing a bunch of these things together, and it's called fleet management because that's what you would call it if it was a bunch of cars together. Um, and then the look and feel, the branding of their website, everything, it, it looks 
like you've gone to a car website and I'm looking at Toyota or something. I mean, everything in what they do is kind of connected to this positioning of this is what we are and this is the value we deliver. With the, um, I, I guess, the companies that you work with, uh, once they've fixed this positioning problem, what is the kind of impact that you see that it has on the business? I mean, is there, is there any like data behind it or even if it's anecdotal that, you know, okay, well, you know, they're 3x, 5x or 10x their, their revenues. Is there anything like that to what you've seen? Yeah, well, you know, the, the the numbers that you end up tracking on the B2B side, it depends on how long your sales cycles are. So sometimes if you're into enterprise stuff, it's hard to track all the way through to revenue. So you've got to have these medium trackers. And so what you're usually looking for is, can I speed the time in the in the early mid part of the funnel? So am I closing deals faster? Am I getting more leads in and the quality on those leads are higher? So normally what you see is an immediate bump in lead quality. The actual volume of leads might go down, but the number of leads that you're getting that are the right people that are choosing you for the right reason goes way up. The second thing you get is this rapid acceleration in mid-funnel stuff. Because what I'm doing is I'm accelerating the time for you to get to this aha moment where you're like, ah, I get it. Now I know what this thing is. And so you should see that almost instantly. When we're testing positioning, a lot of what we end up doing to test whether the positioning works in the immediate time frame is we're either message testing with landing pages or if you have salespeople and there's salespeople talking to customers, you can message test with two different decks, the old deck and the new deck, the old positioning versus the new positioning. And trust me, your salespeople know, like they come back and say, oh my God, I'm never using that old deck again. <laughs> because you can see this, you can feel this moment when people are like, yeah, I get it. And they're all of a sudden, they're not doing this like, so are you like Oracle? <laughs> so you're saying you're a CRM then, you know? So your salespeople, if you have them, are on the front line of this. So they see this immediate impact in, I'm just doing way higher quality pitches and everything's moving along faster. So that's usually what you're measuring at the beginning. If I look at the ones where I was the VP marketing and, you know, my companies where I got to see it through all the way to the end, like, you know, we generally you could just feel there was this friction before and then afterwards there was, and then eventually there was this kind of exponential uptick in revenue. So, you know, I worked at a company where, you know, we did a reposition out of the general CRM market into a very specific niche CRM market. And, um, we had been kind of sitting at 2 million revenue for like three years and we did this repositioning. And in the next 18 months, we went from 2 million to 78. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you get this, you know, just it, it, things actually take off uh, because, again, you're doing this better job of expressing what you are, bringing the value to the front, doing a better job of targeting who cares about that. So the whole thing downstream works better. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember the exact data points or if any were, were given, but we, we've had both um, the, the CEO of Docsend, Russ Heddleston, on the podcast and Peter Reinhardt from Segment as well. And I think they, they both kind of said that, uh, you know, inflection points in their business is when they got their positioning right. And then all of a yeah. sudden, you know, it, it kind of uh, uh, took off. Uh, and, and sort of a segue in the, into um, uh, uh, SaaS doc uh, talks and, and content. Um, we just had SaaS doc London um, in a few weeks back. And the two highest rated talks, which uh, uh, both because they were both excellent, but, but perhaps because they were maybe the most sort of interesting for, for founders, 
were uh, position, position, position uh, from Ryan Singer uh, of awesome. Basecamp. Uh, and uh, and then there was Des Trainer did a, a talk around sort of company al- alignment and positioning, and I think it was like the main thing is the main thing is the main thing. So very yeah. similar, uh, right. very similar there. But um, I, I think it's amazing that that there is this interest in positioning right now, and I think it's because a lot of senior people are out talking about it right now. I think the biggest thing that people struggle with is how do you actually do it. So I think we're starting to get to this realization that it's important, but we still lack. Uh, a methodology to do it. And so that's what I'm really interested in is how can I, okay, I get it. How can I teach you how to do it? And so that's, that's what the book dives into step-by-step methodology of how can you figure it out? Like if you're, you know, you're, you, you get it, you think you've got a positioning problem. How do you actually take a step backward and say, okay, step one, I'm going to do this. Step two, I'm going to do that. Step three, I'm going to do that. Well, April, I think we, we've, uh, we've come to the end of, end of the show and uh, I think, you know, it's, it's been a blast and learned a lot and uh, yeah, super excited uh, to share this with the, uh, uh, with the audience. So thanks again for, uh, for being on the show today. Okay. Well, thank you too. This is great. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show and have picked up valuable lessons from April Dunford about the fine art of positioning. If you like the interviews we're doing every week, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us know that we've contributed to the journey of growing your SaaS. Thanks for listening. See you next time.